always been a rebel from deep down in the south. I get in my share of trouble for what comes out of my mouth. Well, I call them like I see them, and maybe I come on too strong. Well, you got your opinion and the right to say I'm wrong. But that's the way I am. What you see is what you get. I'm a free thinking bear, drinking politically incorrect redneck. Wow, 2024. Now I don't hate nobody. I don't mean to stir things up. But if I don't use the right words, I ain't sensitive enough. Here we go. It's gotten too damn 2024. Easy. My goodness. Remember when the world was going to collapse and cave and everything was going to shut down on in the year 2000 new year's eve the computer systems were going to blow everybody was running around with their hair on fire oh my gosh take these precautions do this do that fear 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 look out look out look out well guess what we're dealing with those same kind of people every day still and still in fear and and uh, all based on the, the reason that they want to control you and we're going to talk a lot about that here. Uh, my name is Jerry Schickling. I am the politically incorrect redneck. And uh, here we go. It's been quite a while. We're going to start things off again this year. Hopefully, we're going to keep the podcast up and running. Currently, you know, we're just doing a, a an audio version, but we are working towards doing uh, live video. Uh, we're, we're establishing a Rumble channel and all kinds of cool stuff there. We'll be uh, at some point doing interviews with folks. It's going to get kind of fun. So hang out there. But I am glad to be back. We're going to keep rolling with a lot of stuff this year heading into 2024. It is an election year. And, of course, we know that elections uh, can be stolen outright with the fraud and everything that goes on. We also know that folks that we do elect that just, uh, you know, go out and lie to us and say all the things and all the little taglines that they want to say to to have us vote for them, put them in office. And they turn out to be nothing more than another turd in the D.C. sewer. I refuse to call it a swamp because, you know, if you actually get into some of the places that have bogs and swamps and bayous, they can actually be quite uh, natural and in their beautiful natural state. But a sewer is what it is. A sewer is full of rats. It's full of stench. It's full of crap. So that's uh, that's why I refer to it as a D.C. sewer, not the D.C. swamp. But anyhow, uh, this year, it, we're coming up. It's definitely going to be the time that we can start making things better. We're going to talk a lot as we go here and do a lot of promoting on a something called tactical civics. So stick a pin in that term because we're going to refer to that a lot today. And uh, we're also going to cover some of that towards the end of the program. But anyhow, um, looking forward to uh, to cranking up a new year, making uh, getting some more podcasts out. You can find us just about anywhere you can get your podcasts. Uh, you can also find us at PIRedneck.com. We shortened it up for politically incorrect redneck. Com, so that'll help you. We're going to do, uh, we're going to be adding a lot of merchandise hopefully this year, some cool patriotic stuff that you can get and wear and uh, get out there and promote uh, taking our country back. It's going to be great. So glad you're all here and uh, we're going to keep on rolling. And I will, we're going to talk about COVID. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, what the, what the, what's coming up on there. We've been talking about COVID pretty much since my first few episodes a couple of years ago, uh, seeing that it's coming back. And obviously there's an election, so they're going to try to use that to force uh, a lot of false uh, mail-in ballots. And, the, you know, the whole scheme, they got away with it once. They think people are sheep. And they, well, typically they are right. There's a lot of sheep. 
Yeah, well, and, and our goal is to educate the sheep, and uh, hopefully we'll get enough that we can uh, uh, make make a big difference. But we're going to get into all that, and uh, ho- hopefully today's show, we're not going to go too long. I'd just like to int- uh, get reintroduced and get some things rolling for this year. Got lots of cool stuff coming up. We're going to talk some Second Amendment things and, and some uh, good and bad going on there and some other things we can do about that. So uh, strap in, buckle in. It's going to be crazy wild ride. Looking forward to having it happen. Thank you all for being here. We'll be right back. country back it's time folks if you're sick and tired of what's going on we have we need to sit down and have an honest evaluation of what we're doing what we're not doing and uh, how we've been thinking have we been thinking wrong do is there other things can we do more than just bitch and moan and complain all the time and the answer to that is absolutely yes if you are willing to be one of those folks who are sick and tired of just looking at the TV, listening to podcasts of certain uh, certain people, and and, uh, and you get just tired of that, and you're ready to take action because action is necessary in order to save our our, uh, our representative republic. It's not a democracy. It's not the Democratic Party. It's a constitutional republic, and we have some plans we've finally stumbled across. After all my years of ranting and raving, I've actually come across an action plan. And fortunately, I did. And we're going to talk about that a little more. Like, again, just remember the term tactical civics. We'll be right back to that. We'll be coming back to that. But here we are in the election year, and you're starting to see COVID and all the stories about another X factor and, I guess, Twitter and X and all that, but different X than that. And and you can still you can see folks in their masks and, and all that goofy stuff, and you see some people starting to come back out and, and still uh, promoting and pressuring folks for the for the inhumane jab that they're that they're forcing on people. Uh, goofballs like Travis Kelsey. Oh my gosh, what a what a absolute freaking knucklehead he is. It just amazes me that, that folks will take money just to promote anything, whether they understand it, whether they know it or not, and actually when they're harming people. And so we're going to talk about COVID here a little bit. Some of the things there. I've talked about it pretty much all the time. I threw BS flags on the COVID fear porn way back from the beginning, whether it was a mask, whether it was a vaccines, uh, the fact that they were trying to silence and, and uh, cancel anybody that talked about ivermectin, which, of course, now is working. Imagine that. To start this little piece off here about COVID, back in March of last year, 2023, not even quite a year ago, uh, Newsweek magazine, Dr. Scott Atlas had put in a piece. And uh, Dr. Scott Atlas, brilliant, brilliant guy. He is the Robert Wesson Sr. Fellow in Healthcare Policy at the Hoover Institution at Stanford. 
And from August through November, he served as a special advisor to President Trump, and he was a member of the White House Coronavirus Task Force. He also authored a book, which I read. Uh, I would definitely link to this at the website. The book was titled A Plague Upon Our, Our House, My Fight at the Trump White House to Stop COVID from Destroying America. And like I said, he was there from August through November. If you read his book, he was there just for a short period of time because the tyrants uh, there, the, the, the criminals, the Fauci's, the Burks's, uh, the Scarf Lady and all that, they didn't want to hear the truth. They just wanted to spread their propaganda, millions and millions of dollars over the COVID stuff. He, he had put out a piece in Newsweek. It was called America's COVID Response Was Based on Lies. And he says, almost all of America's leaders have gradually pulled back their COVID mandates, okay, requirements and closures, even in states like California, which had imposed the most stringent, longest-lasting restrictions in the public. At the same time, the media has been gradually acknowledging the ongoing release of studies that totally refute the, the purported reasons behind those restrictions. This overt reversal is falsely portrayed as learned or new evidence. Little acknowledgement of error is to be found. They'll never acknowledge their errors. We know that. And here's a big point. We have seen no public apology for promulgating false information or for the vilification and delegitimization of policy experts and medical scientists like myself, this would be Dr. Atlas, uh, who spoke out correctly about data, standard knowledge about viral infections and pandemics and fundamental biology. And he goes on, the historical record is critical. We have seen a macabre Orwellian attempt to rewrite, excuse me, rewrite history and to blame the failure of widespread lockdowns on the lockdowns, critics alongside absurd denials of officials' own incessant demand for them. In the Trump administration, Dr. Deborah Burks, there she is, the scarf lady, she was formerly in charge of the medical side of the White House Coronavirus Task Force during the pandemic's first year. In that capacity, she authored all written federal policy recommendations to governors and states and personally advised each state's public health officials during official visits, often with Vice President Mike Pence. Yeah, we know about Mike, uh, who oversaw the entire task force. Upon the inauguration of President Joe Biden... President Joe Biden. Okay, Doctor Anthony, Fa- yeah, Doctor Anthony Fauci became chief medical advisor and then ran the Biden pandemic response. We must acknowledge the abject failure of the Burks Fauci policies. They were enacted, but they failed to stop the dying, failed to stop the infection from spreading, and inflict massive damage and destruction, particularly on lower-income families and on America's children. More than one million American deaths have been attributed to that virus, even after draconian measures, including school closures, stoppage of non-COVID medical care, business shutdowns, personal restrictions, and then the continuation of many restrictions and mandates in the presence of a vaccine. There was an undeniable failure over two presidential administrations to stop cases from rapidly escalating. And let me point there, uh, it's hard to, to deny, you can't deny that Donald Trump was a big part of promoting all of the all of the lies. He trusted the wrong people. I don't know why he didn't do take care of business when he knew things weren't right or when he had other folks like Dr. Atlas advising him that uh, that the information that they were putting out was wrong and it didn't, the science, it wasn't facts. And so I don't know why. President Trump continued to, to praise his uh, Operation Warp Speed, and it's still he needs to actually come out now, running into the election this year, and actually, you know, come and, and give people full disclosure and come to realization that the vaccines are just are not not right. So he continues on here. The numerous experts called for targeted protection, a, a safer alternative to widespread lockdowns. In national media, beginning uh, in March of 2020, that proposal was rejected. History's biggest public health policy failure came at the hands of those who recommended 
the lockdowns and those who implemented them, not those who advised otherwise. The tragic failure of reckless, unprecedented lockdowns that were contrary to established pandemic silence, science excuse me, and the added massive harms of those policies on children, the elderly, and lower-income families are indisputable and well-documented in numerous studies. This was the biggest, the most tragic, the most unethical breakdown of public health leadership in modern history. In a democracy, which of course it's not, this is a republic, but uh, we'll give them, give them slack on that. Uh, indeed, any ethical and free society, the truth is essential. The American people need to hear the truth, the facts, free from the political distortions, misrepresentations, and censorship. The first step is to clearly state the harsh truth to the starkest possible terms. Lies were told, those lies harmed the public, those lies were directly contrary to the evidence, to decades of knowledge on viral pandemics and long-established fundamental biology. And then he goes on right here. Here are the 10 biggest falsehoods known for years to be false, not recently learned or proven to be so, promoted by America's public health leaders, elected and unelected officials, and now discredited academics. Number one, SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus has a far higher fatality rate than the flu by several orders of magnitude. False. Number two lie. Everyone is a significant risk to die from the virus. Number three lie. No one has any immunological protection because the virus is completely new. Lie number four. Asymptomatic people are major drivers of the spread. Lie number five. Locking down, closing schools and businesses, confining people to their homes, stopping non-COVID medical care, and eliminating travel will stop or eliminate the virus. Lie number six. Masks will protect everyone and stop the spread. <laughs> Okay, boy, that, that, that's that been one of my big BS flags from the beginning, but anyhow, we'll, we'll get into that here in a second. Lie number seven, the virus is known to be naturally occurring and claiming it originated in the lab is a conspiracy theory. It was a, it was a lie. We know where it came from. Lie number eight, teachers are especially high risk. Huh. Yeah, go hide in a corner, snowflake. Lie number nine, COVID vaccines stop the spread of the infection. And lie number 10, immune protection only comes from a vaccine. None of us are so naive as to expect a direct apology from critics at my employer, which for him at Stanford University, or in government, academic, public health, and the media, but to ensure that this never happens again. Government leaders, power-driven officials, and influential academics and advisors, often harboring conflicts of interest, must be held accountable. Tactical civics. Remember that word. Okay, there's two words, excuse me. Personally, I remain highly skeptical that any government investigation or commission can avoid politicization. Regardless of their intention, all such government-run inquiries will at least be perceived as politically motivated, and their conclusions will be rejected outright by many. I'm included in that. Okay. Those investigations must proceed, though, if only to seek the truth, to teach our children that truth matters, and to remember G.K. Chesterton's critical lesson that, quote, right is right, even if nobody does it, wrong is wrong, even if everybody is wrong about it. And that's Dr. Scott Atlas uh, on the 10 bi uh, biggest lies uh, of the COVID pandemic. And this is from his book, A Plague Upon Our House. Uh, and actually back in, he wrote this back in 2021, part called uh, The Painful Truth About Masks. He says, even today, after the overwhelming empirical evidence from all over the world, conclusive research studies with solid experimental design published in scientific journals and revelations from newly visible emails unveiling truth previously denied, masks remain one of the most polarizing topics of all. More than anything else, the residual radioactivity around the mass discussions illustrates the strength of human resistance to relinquishing a clearly held belief, even in the face of clear-cut evidence to the contrary. Belief in the efficacy of masks was supported by at least one simple observation. Doctors, I often heard in rebuttal, wear masks. 
Indeed, all the hundreds of medical procedures I had performed, I wore a surgical mask. But the real reason doctors wear masks is to stop large droplets of saliva, coughs, or sneezes from entering the sterile field and contaminating a wound or incision. They do not wear masks in operating rooms to stop aerosolized viruses emitted via breathing. This virus, COVID, primarily spreads by aerosols invisible with every breath. That type of spread escapes around a mask. Imagine that. That's why you see your sunglasses fog up even though you wear a mask. Just like breath travels around a face shield or plastic barrier between uh, restaurant tables, COVID-19 is being increasingly recognized as airborne disease, meaning that the virus can fluctuate in the air like a gas, according to the British Medical Journal, in an attempt to explain why masks should not even be expected to block the virus. We also know that it passes through holes of a surgical mask. The SARS-2 virus is about 0.12 microns in size, similar to influenza, and far smaller than the pore size in surgical masks. It should not be necessary to explain how absurd it was to even consider that a scarf from bandana would stop the virus. And here you go about the about the, the tyranny. Nevertheless, I was warned by several prominent medical scientists, well-meaning colleagues and friends, that I should stay silent about masks. Cancel you if you talk about them, okay? Their rationale was based on the idea that people would never accept evidence that masks are not effective. I did. Okay. Uh, They told me people desperately needed to feel like they had some control and the simple face covering, absurd pseudoscience or not, provided it. If that illusion was taken away, then a feeling of total helplessness would be the natural conclusion. They were absolutely certain that I would provoke a mountain of hate or worse, uh, even though I would be stating the truth. The backlash was inevitable and powerful people would be embarrassed, they warned. Oh, we can't have that. Powerful people being embarrassed. They are an embarrassment. They are an absolute embarrassment. And uh, I tell you what, I had uh, listening to another podcast, a a good friend of mine, and actually one of our leaders in the tactical civics movement is a a gentleman named Bill Ogden. And uh, he was on a show on Rumble called The Sovereign Soul Show, uh, a guy named Brad Wozniak. He's uh, he's Canadian. He had Bill on to talk about the uh, various things with tactical civics. And this little segment here caught my attention. When we go back to the 10 biggest lies about COVID, number nine, or excuse me, number six, where it says masks will protect everybody and stop the spread. Well, I'd like you to listen to a personal experience dealing with masks prior to COVID-19, which, uh, you know, when you you look at it all, it makes total sense that they're they're useless. Why don't you listen to Bill here on The Sovereign Soul and see if this doesn't ring a bell just with regular, normal thinking people here we go but after they stole the election after they uh you know they were trying to uh, make me take a shot that i didn't want uh, and i'll just throw this in for context we had a, a child with cystic fibrosis we spent 25 years in the hospitals uh children's hospital and shadyside hospital um <clears throat> we're medical snobs there i said it i'm glad we know a thing or two uh, my kid would go to the hospital four to six times a year. She'd be in two to three weeks to clip. My l- wife would go down there with her. I'd commute back and forth because it's just down the street to Pittsburgh. And uh, uh, when when the alleged pandemic hit, I said, honey, I think you and I might know something about all this. I think we've been down this road. When they're trying to compel us to wear a mask, I said, you know, our kid had a respiratory problem and a cold could lead to pneumonia and early death. Cold is a coronavirus. And yet there we were 25 years. We were never asked to mask up. Nobody on the floors masked up. Nobody in the Ronald McDonald house masked up. We're living with patients from all over the world with kidney transplants, liver transplants, multiple organ transplants, cancer patients. 
No masks. Everybody and their brothers coming and going and cooking lunch. The Marines are coming. The Pirates are coming. Steelers are coming. Nobody's wearing a mask. And now all of a sudden, we're being told. And uh, where it came down to me, this part of the journey was, I'm afraid that if I put the mask on, people will think I know something. And then they'll I'm setting the wrong example because that thing doesn't help you. It's not going to help you. And I knew that. Uh, and so that comes under the heading of uh, people trying to govern me against my will, make me do a thing. You know, I, I say to people all the time, you don't have to wear a mask if you don't want to. You don't have to wear a hat if you don't want to. I personally like a hat. You don't have to. You know, it's personal liberty. Personal liberty. What a novel idea. Man, who'd have ever thunk that a free man and free woman would have personal liberty? But that was, Bill, that's from speaking from experience from, from years ago, and it just makes total sense to those of us who have half a brain. So, you know, as you go on down his list, uh, Dr. McCullough's list of 10 biggest lies, uh, number nine, of course, COVID vaccines stop the spread of the infection, and number 10 was immune protection only comes from a vaccine, two of the biggest lies that, uh, that were promulgated. Well, last week on the Steve Gruber show, which airs on Real America's Voice. If you're streaming, you do Roku, Pluto, any of those. Uh, Real America's Voice is a tremendous outlet for actual truth and, and real news. Steve had on Dr. Peter McCullough, who is uh, just a just a tremendous, great human being as far as his knowledge and he uh, his I guess his battle against misinformation and the flat-out lies. Of course, he was canceled by numerous uh, other entities, like uh, Dr. Scott Atlas was, but he fought through it. He survived, and I'll tell you what, he, is, he has been a, uh, just a tremendous asset to uh, for the truth when it comes to the COVID and the vaccines. He's actually, he's an internist and a cardiologist, an epidemiologist. He's been a leader in the medical response to COVID-19, author of the book. Uh, this was in 2022. Uh, name title of the book was The Courage to Face COVID. COVID-19, Preventing Hospitalization and Death While Battling the Biopharmaceutical Complex. Another great book I highly recommend. The Gruber Show last week, they talked about the, some of the lies and the criminal conduct of those pushing and forcing these vaccines on everybody. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have more coming about that. But anyhow, I wanted you to listen to just a quick little clip of Dr. McCullough and uh, Steve Gruber on how the amount of deaths from the vaccine itself are incredible. And if you haven't heard this, this will blow your mind. Yeah, people are getting um, sick again. It's that time of the year. Uh, the flu, RSV, COVID-2. My next guest, Dr. Peter McCullough, is the chief scientific officer at the Wellness Company. Joining me here now. Doctor, good to have you back on the program. Thanks for having me. For the first time in a while, I actually know a couple of people that have COVID right now. I'm not terribly concerned about it, but I bring it up because it's something we're going to be dealing with going forward. And, and I want to ask you about some things. Uh, you, you told me in the break you're going to be testifying uh, in front of Congress here about the vaccine and so forth. And I, I played some things for people on the program here. I played some things from a conference that was held in Romania here a few weeks ago where they had the graphs of the uh, uh, all-cause mortality, all-cause mortality and how it spiked following the release of the vaccines from the different uh, companies. And their conclusion from all the numbers from all the countries and all the extrapolation they come up with is 17 million people died globally, roughly, in their estimation, from when you put out billions of vaccines, 17 million was their takeaway. Uh, does that strike you as shocking? Does it strike you as believable? What do you make of that? I know you spent a lot of time looking at Anthony Fauci and the vaccines and all the things related to COVID. What do you make of such a, a claim? The adjective is catastrophic. 
It's a catastrophic biological safety disaster, these vaccines. That the, the number was derived from a paper that was published by Dennis Rancourt from Canada. And it's an ecological analysis uh, that implies the back, vaccines have backfired. Uh, instead of saving lives, they've cost lives. And in the United States, you know, our CDC is admitting to over 18,000 Americans have died after the vaccines. People have reported this and they think the vaccines caused the death. That's underreported probably 30 to one. So in the United States, we're approaching 600,000 American lives lost with the vaccine. Of the 18,000 the CDC has recorded, 1150 happened right in the vaccine center or a few hours afterwards. So 600,000 is the number you're looking at uh, caused directly by the injection, this experimental uh, application of mRNA technology. However, in the United States only, I, I got it. So 17 million is a number that you believe is, is credible, right? Uh, that's what right. you're telling us. 17 million globally, 600,000 Americans. I think those should be the numbers we should work with. Instead of saving lives, they cost lives catastrophic and that's dr peter mccullough brilliant brilliant man people need to stamp up take notice that if you're continually forcing these things on people you are actually a criminal and we need to do something about that so once again being that this is an election year and you can start seeing this COVID stuff starting to raise this little uh, whack-a-mole head you got to keep in mind that they're going to do anything they can to scare people to make people want to stay home to accept the fact that they can do mail-in ballots or that anybody can do mail-in ballots all in an effort to try to steal another election and keep the corrupt government in there now pretty much uh disclosure it's pretty much all corrupt and we're gonna work on a we've got an action plan now that uh, has been actually in in development for 14 or 15 years that uh, is starting to get some some uh, legs under it and we're going to talk about that again tactical civics anyhow but uh, as far as some of the covid stuff you know we're aware of it people are pretty much heightened to it you do still see them in their in their cars and walking in the restaurants or in even in the local wally world or wherever they go with their masks on and i just stay away from them like boy if you're in on that then uh, i have no reason to even talk to you because you're not worth talking to you're just a fool so anyhow but also you know with with the things that are uh, that are happening out there you're hearing a lot about the the january 6th the j6 prisoners and what a what a sham and a government psyop that's been and it's just like with covid a lot of the facts are coming out you're starting to see more and more of it we need to continue to pressure that there's absolutely innocent and and true patriot folks that were just there to voice their opinion their first amendment right to do that in washington dc on january 6th and they're being held some of them haven't even had their hearings yet it's just a pathetic pathetic example of of, of united states and it definitely is more uh, set for russia or north korea or china some of those places but anyhow you may have seen this or heard this representative clay higgins and he is from louisiana he's a former law enforcement the guy is actually great and boy he put the hammer on uh, christopher ray the head of the fbi a while back in the hearings and, and ray flat out lied to him just, just just these people just feel like they can get away with anything we need to kick them out and there's ways to do that and we're going to be working on that he, he is in part of the investigations into the january 6th government coup and uh, he had an interview with Tucker Carlson. I'm just gonna, I don't want like to play a quick, just a little clip of it right now, but where he, he, rec he suggested that basically admitted that, well, there was at least 200 FBI or federal law enforcement undercover during January 6th to instigate the things that happened, even though uh, you know, there was uh, two civilians that were killed. In, in that by police officers. One, of course, was Ashley Babbitt, and the other was a lady named Roseanne Boyland. 
You don't hear much about Roseanne, but like I said, these truths are starting to come out. First of all, here's a clip with uh, Representative Higgins chatting with Tucker Carlson. When you say that there were FBI assets in the crowd, in, in the building beforehand and, and certainly outside, what's the scale of this? You're talking like 10, 20? No. Um, based upon some very conservative, but like hard investigative effort evaluation of of the numbers from putting together eyewitnesses and and videos and uh and affidavit statement and whistleblower statements and uh court records that have been revealed through individual criminal cases where j6 defendants have been prosecuted and smart attorneys have forced uh, admissions by the DOJ and the FBI, but those admissions have been sealed within the parameter of that criminal case by protective order by the judge. So they, I, I can't share them, but I've seen them. So r- real hard, objective, and conservative um, estimates would would put the number of FBI assets in the crowd outside and working inside at at well over 200 200 yeah yeah fbi assets at well over 200 and that's i'm gonna say probably a conservative estimate but uh, at least those are pretty much what uh, uh, what mr higgins feels is is definitely provable at this point so on top of that there's a new movie out i guess documentary it's about an hour long and it from a, a gentleman named A.J. Fisher. Now, he is creator and producer of a, a film called J6, A True Timeline. And Mr. Fisher is a he's a J6 defendant who knows more about what transpired on the west side of the Capitol, circumstances that led to the declared riot and Capitol building entry. A news release here says in January 2023, Fisher began to make the film a reality. He lined up funding for the project and hired professional producers to help. Fisher's less than lethal timeline was featured in an article written by blah, blah, blah. As both witness and victim, this is a quote, as both witness and victim, I observed firsthand that the attacks by police with munitions and physical violence were often unprovoked and at the time deeply disturbing. I later learned about hearings on previous questionable police actions while clearing protests, specifically the clearing of the protests in Lafayette Square outside the White House on Memorial Day weekend. Given what I've learned about the statutes and other court cases and the police actions I witnessed, it is likely the police violated the law. The police violated the law. Now, just a full disclosure here, I'm not anti-police. Actually, I, I, uh, I think that we, we need them, we need, but we need good policemen. We need policemen that, aren't, uh, that don't succumb to orders from above just because they're receiving their paycheck from, from we the people who are actually uh, the bosses of all of them, more on that to come. But then he goes on to state there that uh, I then followed the facts, reviewed evidence from hundreds of J6 trials, as well as evidence from body cam footage, radio communications, and police officer testimony. It became definitively clear the police disregarded protesters safety and well-established dc protest crowd clearing laws said fisher law enforcement failed to give proper required warnings prior to launching munitions in some cases police are heard admitting they were hurting and inciting innocent people 
There you go, inciting innocent people. It became even more clear that there have been disparities between the way Congress investigated these illegal police actions when BLM protesters were involved, Fisher continued. Those same illegal police actions have been ignored or buried when J6 protesters were targeted by police. In fact, the objective observer will tell you that J6 Select Committee ignored the facts to push a certain political narrative. These folks need to be arrested. They need to be pulled from office, of course, and uh, and, and people just wonder, how are we going to do this? Do you think that the FBI or the DOJ, part of the sewer in D.C., are going to arrest or prosecute their own people? Forget it, folks. There's a way that we're going to start chipping away at this and make this happen. And we're going to talk about that here shortly. Okay. Uh, J6, a true timeline, is a result of hours of investigation into the facts of J6. The purpose of this film is to set the record straight without favor to one side or another. J6 is a dark day in American history, but not the way it has been portrayed. The American people deserve the whole uncut truth of what transpired minute by minute. In reality, J6 was a complex human event, one where a peaceful, joyous morning of First Amendment assembly became a riot for reasons that are much more nuanced than most want you to believe. And here it says, The creators hope the film will provoke all Americans to ask questions based on what they see and hear. And here we go. How did these protesters die and why? How is the government misrepresenting a restricted area to convict Americans? How many protesters really knew they were entering restricted areas on Capitol grounds? Do Americans know the flexible fencing was placed on the Capitol grounds for the purpose of constructing the inaugural stage? Do Americans know that the Capitol Police were told prior to January 6th not to use munitions on the crowds? Why was there so much chaos? Why did people riot? Were the police prepared to handle the crowds that day? Why didn't the police arrest individuals before the violence escalated? What really happened at the tunnel on January 6th, and how did Roseanne Boyland die? There's that other name, Roseanne Boyland. Why did Officer Byrd shoot Ashley Babbitt when she was flanked from behind by Metro Police? What were the communications between Mayor Bowser of D.C., members of Congress, Chief Sund, and Yoganaba Pittman? Why are police heard saying that they were set up, quote-unquote? Why does former Capitol Police Officer Tariq Johnson continue to say that former Assistant Chief of the USCP Intelligence, Yoganda Pittman, is largely responsible for the chaos on January 6th, not former President Donald J. Trump? Now, I have watched the, this film, and it is tremendous just to watch it and watch things happen, watch it in, in live time, basically, where, you know, the videos don't lie. These are not edited. This is all about the footage that was taken from body cams and so on and so forth. I just want to listen to the trailer of the movie here. We'll show you how to get there if you want to watch this. But here's a, here's a little clip of what the movie is about. What if I told you that the full story of January 6th isn't what you've been led to believe? What if I told you that at least four unarmed people were killed at the Capitol that day? What if I told you that there was no published restricted zone available to the public and that President Trump wasn't allowed to direct people to the specific rally points around the Capitol? What if I told you that police removed hundreds of barricades from the area of the first breach hours before it happened? What if I told you that the first group of demonstrators that breached security gates that morning had a police escort? What if I told you nothing, but showed you everything? What if we published the first accurate timeline with all of the footage and all of the context? What if we allowed you to decide? January 6th, a true timeline. Coming soon. There you go. 
I'll have a link to that full video up on uh, on uh, the podcast site when you get it. So you'll be able to go there and click and check it out. So anyhow, that's where we are right now. That's just a couple of things that are going on that, that you know need to be rectified ASAP. Folks, don't be fooled by these people. There's ways we're going to start taking care of this. Uh, we need to do one thing, and that's to take our country back. It's never. It is now or never. I'll be right back. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Read that first part again. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. And as in our Constitution, it is provided here uh, because militia has become a bad word on purpose. Trust me, on purpose, people shy from it, they back off from it because there's quote-unquote militia out there that are not law-abiding, that do not uh, are not part of the actual constitution of this United States, are not what the actual militia was intended to be from the beginning. Because in uh, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 15 and 16 of our Constitution, if you'd go back and read it, Clause 15 says, to provide for calling forth the militia to execute the laws of the Union, suppress insurrections, and repel invasions. And in Article 1, Section 8, Clause 16, it says, to provide for organizing, arming, and disciplining the militia, and for governing such part of them as may be employed in the service of the United States, reserving to the states respectively the appointment of the officers and the authority of training the militia according to the discipline prescribed by Congress. So those two clauses in Article One of the Constitution specifically point to militia as the authority to uh, for law enforcement and repel insurrections and invasions. So it's been long, long ago, gotten away from that. We're going to talk more about that uh, in future stuff. One of the reasons that I got excited and after I started studying and looking at the tactical civics movement that we're going to cover here shortly. But anyhow, as far as the Second Amendment, it has been greatly, greatly twisted for some of the meetings as we've known for a long time. From from the book, The Great We Set, that would be We Set, W-E-S-E-T, by a, a, a tremendous visionary guy named David Zuniga out of Texas. We'll talk more about David here shortly. On page 68 of that book, he says, Congress making any law infringing on the right of citizens to buy, build, repair, trade, sell, carry, and use quote-unquote military-grade weaponry for militia use is precisely the situation the Second Amendment was meant to avoid. But because we the people first abdicated our authority, power, and duty that we stipulate in Article 1, Section 8, Clause 15, we refuse to make our state governments obey their duty that we stipulate in Clause 16. This is not a Second Amendment rights issue, but an Article I people's law enforcement powers and duties issue. And as he says here, a right 
in the U.S. Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 15, we the people stipulate that to execute the laws of the Union, suppress insurrections, and repel invasions, it is the duty and power of the militia. No police force, sheriffs, or standing army are stipulated in the law. Only citizen militia as law enforcement. And again, we're not talking about uh, Joe Bag of Donut Rambo guys that get their camo gear on and uh, go out and play soldier in the, in the woods and in the mountains and have barbecues, as David likes to say, and, and all that kind of stuff. We're talking about constitutionally developed militias for each state to uphold the law and actually to uh, help enforce the law based on a lot of the crime in local politicians uh, with our grand jury system. And we're going to talk about that here in a second. But as uh, an article came out about the Second Amendment, it was kind of interesting here on January 13th. And it was on Reuters uh, by a guy named Nate Raymond. And he says here, a federal judge in Florida on Friday ruled that a U.S. law that bars people from possessing firearms in post offices is unconstitutional, citing a landmark U.S. Supreme Court ruling from 2022 that expanded gun rights. U.S. District Judge Catherine Kimball Mazel, an appointee of Republican former President Donald Trump in Tampa, reached that conclusion in dismissing part of an indictment charging a postal worker with illegally possessing a gun uh, in a federal facility. Mazel said the charge violated Emanuel Ayala's, Ayala's, something like that, forgive my Spanish, right to keep and bear arms under the U.S. Constitution's Second Amendment, saying a blanket restriction on firearms possession in post offices is incongruent with the American tradition of firearms regulation. That ruling recognized for the first time that the Second Amendment protects an individual's right to carry a handgun in public for self-defense. It also established a new test for assessing firearms law, saying restrictions must be consistent with this nation's historical tradition of firearms regulation. Ayaya, a U.S. Postal Service truck driver in Tampa, had a concealed weapons permit and kept a Smith & Wesson 9mm handgun in a fanny pack for self-defense, his lawyer said. He was indicted after prosecutors said he brought the gun onto Postal Service property in 2012 and fled federal agents who tried to detain him. Well, that's probably not a good idea. But anyway, he was charged under a statute that broadly prohibits possessing a firearm in a federal facility, including a post office. Mazel said that while post offices have existed since the nation's founding, federal law did not bar guns in government buildings until 1964 and post offices until 1972. No historical practice dating back to the 1700s justified the ban, she said. Bazell said allowing the federal government to restrict visitors from bringing guns into government facilities as a condition of admittance would allow it to abridge, this is a quote, abridge the right to bear arms by regulating it into practical non-existence. So there you go. Judge ruled that the ban on guns in post offices is unconstitutional. Of course, they're going to, I'm sure, appeal that decision. But, you know, uh, we the people need to continually to press for more decisions like this and to start taking back our courts as well as our, uh, as our governments. And then also, there's a piece, and, and this uh, hits home here in uh, Pennsylvania, where I live, about uh, how a sheriff became a gun control patsy. And this article is from uh, Lee Williams. He is better known as the gun writer. And again, like I said, all these articles and, and videos, I will uh, have links to them so you can go read the full things and, and, and watch the full videos. But anyhow, this special report says how a Pennsylvania sheriff became a gun control patsy. Montgomery County Sheriff ordered his deputies, his deputies, a county sheriff orders his deputies to inspect local gun dealers, a task usually reserved for the ATF, which is actually an unconstitutional agency as well. And by the way, sheriffs are not a constitutional uh, office. And 
uh, there's nowhere in the Constitution that, that provides for a sheriff. And there's history on that that, uh, that you can learn, too. But anyhow, uh, Lee states here, at the very best, Montgomery County Sheriff Sean Kilkenny has violated his oath of office, needs to be thrown out, tactical civets, and particularly the portion in which he swore to support and defend the United States Constitution, including the Second Amendment. At a time when most law enforcement agencies are struggling with budget cuts and severe recruiting and staffing problems, Kilkenny's deputies were looking for more to do. The sheriff recently ordered them to start conducting warrantless inspections of local gun dealers in their jurisdiction. In addition to a federal firearms license, a gun dealer in the Commonwealth must also obtain a uh, state license according to a regulation promulgated by the Pennsylvania State Police. This state license requires the dealers to agree to warrantless searches by the state police or their designee, in this case, the Montgomery County Sheriff's Office. If that ain't a load of bull, I don't know what is. I mean, really? That, Bullshit. Yeah, I agree, President Trump. Anyhow, a series of emails obtained by the Second Amendment Foundation through Pennsylvania's Right to Know legislation shows how Sheriff Kilkenny, who is also an attorney, was practically groomed into agreeing to conduct these inspections by statewide gun control group Ceasefire PA. The emails also demonstrate how neither the sheriff's office nor Ceasefire PA knew what they were doing when they established a program or even how to train the deputies before sending them out to inspect local gun dealers. One national firearm industry expert said it is incredibly rare for local law enforcement to inspect gun dealers who are already federally licensed and overregulated by the Alcohol or Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. Quote, most beat cops don't know what gun they have on their hip, much less how to use it. They're not going to know what they're even looking at, said John Clark of uh, FFL Consultants. Clark, he's uh, they, they do some consulting work for FFL dealers in the, uh, across the country. But as being a, a former uh, deputy game warden and doing firearms training with a variety of different people, there's no doubt in my mind that when he said that a lot of folks don't even know what they have on their hip, I saw a lot of a lot of examples of folks that have no idea what they're doing, even though they're in law enforcement. So we'll leave it at that. Like I said, not that this is a thing on law enforcement anything against law enforcement, but there's a lot of work and a lot of things that need to be done there. And as far as uh, getting rid of folks that uh, in our government that we vote for that say one thing and do another, uh, just on a local issue here, we have a representative by the name of Glenn Thompson, who uh, his liberty score on, on a conservative review is 52%, which is a failing score. What's this have to do with the Second Amendment? Well, Representative Thompson can come into a friendly hometown gun store and spout all his Second Amendment and his uh, support and blah, 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 blah. I just sit there and talk all day long about how great he is on the Second Amendment because we're in a community that, you know, values the Second Amendment. And he can say all that, but then he'll go back to Washington. And, um, but well, just recently he voted for the short-term spending bill again on January 18th. He was one of these folks that went down to the border with Mike Johnson, the new quote-unquote speaker, to look at the, the issues at the border. And when they were asked by Ben Burkwam of Real America's Voice, uh, who would raise their hand and say that we're not giving any more money. We're not going to pass this spending bill until the border is secure. Not a single one of them commit to to that. So that that's Glenn Thompson. He's just to go along to get along. He's another one of those uh, those dudes in in Washington that we send there. And like I said, he'll come in and spout his Second Amendment support all day long at a gun store. Wow, that's tough to do. You know, wow, a couple things he's done. Uh, some of his votes and federal control of local schools. Now he voted that down. Didn't want that. Pass a eight hundred seventeen billion dollar defense spending bill. 
bill without defunding military vaccine mandates. He voted that up. He didn't want that to happen. He didn't want to vote that down. That was in uh, July of last year, of 2022. Uh, he also fun- uh, voted to fund a war in Ukraine through the end of Joe Biden's first term with a billion, uh, yeah, excuse me, a $40 billion aid package. That's the kind of guy he is. In March of uh, 2022, he uh, voted to pass a $1.5 trillion omnibus funding of Biden's vaccine mandates. So there's the kind of guy we're talking about. Come in and say one thing, go to, uh, and is just not the supporter. So we're going to, we're going to work on this, folks. This is what tactical civics is about. And the next segment here, as we're wrapping up, I'm going to give you a brief description of that. But we got to get rid of these people. There's something is in the plans down the road of what's called Bring Our Congress Home Act that will bring uh, these folks to bear in the smaller districts to where they actually have to live and work in the district they're representing instead of these guys that uh, get voted in, come in and say great speeches about the Second Amendment and, and gun rights at a local gun store, but then run off to Washington and do exactly the opposite of what we sent them there to do. So we're going to start taking care of that. I hope you stick around for the next segment. We're going to wrap it up and we'll do just do a quick... Uh, Quick overview of the tactical civics. So what is Tactical Civics? Well, Tactical Civics is the action mission of America Again Trust. It's the only organization in our republic designed specifically to enforce the Constitution for the rest of American history. It's a way of life, not a project or event, and it's not aligned with political parties. On December 5th, 2023, here's a Tactical Civics press release for immediate release. And it says here, with many Americans disenchanted at elections, party politics, and government corruption, Christians and conservatives are taking up a new way of life called tactical civics. The parent organization, American Again Trust, is a charitable, perpetual trust and member organization that invested over 80,000 hours by 45 researchers and volunteers to build America's first full-spectrum solution under the brand Tactical Civics to address fears, frustration, and complaints today about politics and government corruption. Now in over 1,200 county chapters in all 50 states and adding four to six chapters daily, private member organization is proudly Christian. Its 11-minute YouTube video introduces a new way of life for repentant, responsible Americans that entails seven action projects. And here they are. Number one, build numbers in each county to be effective as and accepted as a new way of life. Number two, teach all members accurate history, civics, mission tactics, and strategy. Number three, Demystify the people's ancient institutions of grand jury and militia and get its grand jury and militia ordinances enacted in all counties. 4. Finish ratifying the original first article in the Bill of Rights, still awaiting final ratification by 27 more states, breaking the U.S. House back down into small districts as the founders intended to end the big city headlock of an American government. Number five, enact its Bring Congress Home Act to create history's first distributed legislature with all legislators limited two terms, congressmen only getting 50% of current salary, and two staffers, senators six, all must office full-time in their hometowns, but their senators may office in their state city capital. Okay, Bring Congress Home Act. Necessary. Necessary. 
Uh, number six, launch its indictment engine mobile app to keep state and federal legislators from enacting unconstitutional laws as they have been doing for generations. And number seven, over years, push through its 20 other major reform laws to scrape back everything that's been stolen from the people over 160 years by criminal servants at all levels. Founder David Zuniga of Texas, a former engineer and author of 15 books, including The Great We Set, is bullish on the future. Quote, it may not look like it, but we're witnessing the kicking, howling death of 160-year-old American communism. This is the best time in history to be alive, finally with a full-spectrum, lawful, Christ-centered, multi-generational solution, unquote. And the website, of course, is tacticalcivics.com. And you can go on there, watch that 11-minute video, uh, get, a, get a look at, at what is going on. I'm a proud member now of Tactical Civics. And after being first introduced uh, to it back in, in July of 2023, uh, I had some reservations and, uh, and hesitations at first. And uh, just to wrap this up, I'll just give you my I – I wrote a little uh, little segment about my journey into where I am now on the Tactical Civics mission and put it on the uh, the training center website that Tactical Civics provides once you're a member. I've had a lot of folks actually get a lot of good feedback from it, and it helps make sense to some of the things for people. So in brief, I wrote that, thus began my journey into Tactical Civics, and then hang in there. There's a message here. Let me explain, and obviously here, prepare for some tongue-in-cheek stuff. My lovely bride and I went out on a usual Friday night dinner date at a local pub. One of the owners and a good friend of ours, Kim Kohler, asked if we'd heard about an event coming up in a few days. Uh, and like I said, this was July of last year. Introducing Tactical Civics to the Unenlightened. Kim knew uh, Kim was new to Tactical Civics and didn't explain much about it, but said this guy named Scott McKay was coming in to speak. And I've known Scott for a few years. I also knew that he had developed a successful podcast with a good following, but I hadn't seen him in quite a while. Scott is uh, known as the Patriot Street Fighter, and he has a tremendous Rumble channel. If you uh, definitely need to get on Rumble, where uh, free speech is still allowed. So I went home and visited the Tactical Civics website. Interesting stuff. Uh, interesting enough that I purchased an annual membership on the spot, which is $50. And though I didn't use Facebook much at that time, uh, I came across a post about the same event from another friend and local Tactical Civics member, Jan Moore. This gathering seemed to be a big event, so myself being somewhat of a country music artist, asked if they would like me to sing the national anthem to kick it off. And I thought, heck, it's a patriotic event, isn't it? And after all, I've done this for other events, ball games, race tracks, wrestling tournaments, and so on. And, you know, I'd like to see Scott again, so a long story short, the idea was rejected about me doing that. And I said, there are things that make you go, hmm, okay. Now came time to add my profile. Having never been to a quote-unquote seminar, more on that later, or had any formal introduction to tactical civics, I uploaded a photo of myself with a guitar and wearing a cowboy hat. After all, that's my profile, you know. And then, it, then it came, the wrath from what I termed the profile Nazis. I'm sure that there was some kind of somebody say, hey, welcome aboard, but, you know, blah, 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 do this, do this, you must do this message, you know. So uh, I got this, please read the policy on profiles pages and come into full compliance. And that's how I interpreted it. Well, that just about lit me up right there. So after discussing this with my wife, uh, my better half, believe me, uh, she casually said, this looks just like another one of those multi-level marketing things. After all, we'd invested a few years of our life and a darn good amount of money into our own business where you had to follow the rules or else, not to mention that MLM by name, but uh, its initials are Amway. Okay. And then she continued, you know, we were under this Bill Ogden guy who is a great guy uh, in that thing. 
and Scott McKay is a pretty big muckety muck with the with the Amway organization locally as well when we were involved. And that David Zuniga guy appears to be like that Dexter Yeager dude, the guy at the top. And look, they want you to go to meetings and they have seminars. There's that word again. They want you to buy books. They don't have tapes, but they have podcasts. Sounds like the same kind of thing. Count me out. You know, I knew it wasn't an MLM thing because there's no products and such and such to sell. But being an independent kind of guy and the thoughts of following orders like that, again, you know, must come into compliance. Okay, yeah, right. Uh, influenced me to make the decision. I shut down my account. And I said, hey, just figure, hey, go ahead, keep the 50 bucks. Good luck. Have at it, guys. And, you know, see you, see you later. But the seed, there was a seed planted from what I was seeing and some of the, you know, looking around and watching the videos. So something kept me coming back. And there had to be more to this thing, I said. And I, I bought the Great We Set and read it. Now, this was even, actually, I think I bought the Great We Set and had it coming after I decided to dis- discontinue my account. But anyhow, I didn't agree with some of the material and actually flat out rejected some of the stuff in the book, but that was based on some of my prior education and, and other things. But uh, some of the stuff made sense. The more I researched, the more I dug into the information and the more it came to light, I realized that there was a plan here. That I'd been complaining about the corruption in our local, state, federal government for too long, and now it was time to actually do something. What was I going to do? If I'm not if I'm not part of the solution, I'm definitely part of the problem. That's how I looked at it. Okay. To me, you know, it was time for action. There have been folks who have dedicated and sacrificed a tremendous portion of their time, money, and lifestyle to bring this movement forward. This isn't a money-making thing for them. I uh, stuck my toe back in. Okay, it's their gig. If that's the profile policy. I'll follow along. After all, I don't have to join a club if I don't want to. Okay. And to wrap this up and bring it full circle, here we are at the beginning of 2024. I'm all in. I'm fired up about the coming explosion of tactical civics team and mission. The future of the Constitutional Republic depends on all of us and all of those not yet enlightened by the God-inspired vision of David Zuniga and those who put this together. Talk to people and spread the word. Be patient with people. Plant seeds. Let them sprout at their pace. Be there to nurture them along. Help them learn and discover. Some folks will want the fire hose and some will want the sprinkler. As David says in the great, that would be David Zuniga says in the great we set Chapter 1, page 5, quote, God sends the remnant. We don't pull you in or try to hook you. If you don't feel led to it, you're not right for the mission, at least not yet. Uncomfortable as it is, missionaries to the Americas, our first step in this ministry, a new way of life, is our own sincere repentance. And I uh, ended it with saying I've been led to it, and no, dear, this is not another MLM deal. So, folks, I'm telling you, check in at TacticalCivics, TacticalCivics.com. We're going to be doing a lot of stuff and, and a lot of podcasts, which we're going to be promoting that. I'm all in. We're going to start making this thing happen. And I know it got a little long winded on reading some of those articles and parts of those books but you know uh, it's 2024 and it's time as mark twain once said in the beginning of a change the patriot is a scarce man and brave and hated and scorned when his cause succeeds the timid join him for then it costs nothing to be a patriot well guys it's time to not be timid anymore it's time to be a patriot so you can find us now. We're going to be doing a lot more this year. Going to have some new music come out. All kinds of cool stuff like that. Visit us at PIRedneck.com. Email me at Jerry at TeamPIR.com. We're also going to get the locals. Uh, we have a new locals channel as well. And Rumble. So we'll be doing videos and all kinds of good stuff there. And we're also on X at uh, politicallyincorrectredneck.com. So buckle in. It's going to be a great 2024. We're going to crank her up. And until we see you again, guys, let's rock on.